Welcome to an episode of Leah and the Internet. I hope you enjoy the show. Leah and the Internet features rotating guests who discuss the impact the Internet has on the world. So who's Leah Devon Sorrentino? I'm an artist, currently located in Philadelphia. In episode 24, the Negative Jam duo are together again, just in time to discuss the impact that memes have had on the 2016 election. Chris Cloud helps break down how the accessibility of technology and creative tools have made memes a dominant form of communication. We also learned that he might be a little more shy on social media than he used to be. Hey, Chris Cloud. Hi. For those who previously did not know of our collaboration, why don't you tell the internet world on this podcast a little bit about yourself? My name is Chris Cloud. I've worked with Leah before in the past as part of Negative Jam, and we had a podcast for, for a year exactly called last month on the internet oh well we would like scoop up bits and pieces of the internet talk about them and then capture them so that they were documented yeah archived and what about you myself yeah so (laughs) i run a pizza camp that went viral somehow this year it was like got on HuffPost and vice vice yeah i saw them vice 329 that's this past weekend like gq in spain it's really it's really weird that like the internet (laughs) it's it's weird because we spend so much time on it we don't think about it so i do that i also throw dance parties i also work at an art museum I also... Just an uh, art museum. Yeah. The, <laughs> not not one of the biggest contemporary art museums in the nation, let alone the world. The world, yeah. Um, and then what else do I do? Uh, I teach at MCAD. Minneapolis was, College of Art and Design. Yep. Where Leah was a past faculty member as well, too. And I uh, received my MFA. And your, and your MFA, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Alma mater. Yeah, it's, like, it's, your, it's your old stomping grounds. I think about you sometimes when I walk the hallways. Those like, hallowed halls? Yeah. Just what, my presence. Yeah, your ghost. The ghost <laughs> of Leah Devin Sorrentino, all up in that building. Where can people find you online? I'm at Chris Cloud on Instagram and Twitter, uh, chriscloud.com. I was just talking about, I have a meme account that no one really ever follows, but it's the cloud emoji. And actually what happened was is that I was making a meme account just for myself. And I connected to Facebook, and then Facebook told everybody through Instagram that I have an account. So all these people started following this meme account that I was like, gonna just post on there and have fun. And now you have pressure. And now I have pressure. You now. Have an audience. And now, like now, I just I froze. It's kind of like I got onto the stage and had stage fright, and I was like, you know what? Now that I have an audience, I'm not gonna make these memes anymore. <laughs> and so I so so you can go to my meme account, and there's a few things posted there from February of this year, but there's really not much after that. One or two posts. Now I'm scared. Of <laughs> so are you scared of the internet because Pepe is now a hate crime? I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm scared of the internet because of like how the pressure to to perform is way more higher than it's ever been. Like before, you could casually sort of be a casual memer, but now there's all this like all these are meme accounts who are like well, they're, they're like professional meme accounts. Yeah, well, yeah, to make like, money. It's like Instagram. You know, they serve up I'm who like, they think you're into. So I get shown a lot of meme accounts on my meme Instagram account because I'm follow a bunch of meme accounts. So they show me other meme accounts. And so I see hundreds of different meme accounts. So I see a lot of memes and I feel a lot of pressure that I cannot perform as well as they do. I'm also curious too because for a long time I had an Android phone and a lot of people use like the text from like the iPhone as they make memes and stuff like that. And I didn't have that tool. So I was like, I felt disadvantaged in the meme you department. Were, so essentially your life has come to a crisis because you can no longer perform at an adequate level because of your defunctory phone and your screaming fans demanding continuous pressure. On memes, yes. It stresses me, it stresses me out. So I've just, 
I've gone to a, a meme recluse pretty much, <laughs> where I just I just uh, I just enjoy them, and sometimes I'll share them, but not very often. We are going to get on a slight tangent here before we get on topic. I think that the seldom you know use of the platform to share memes then makes the meme seem so much louder. I mean, that means that it, if you chose to share that meme, it is intrinsic to who you think you are online. That's, that's true. I mean, I, I feel like when I do post on there, it's something that I really feel passionately about. Uh, and and I, I sort of maybe what I do is I see stuff that I really, really like, and I'll be like, I'm going to post this sometime later. But then I don't. It's also probably because <laughs> it's, all, it's also because my job, I literally get paid money for a career to post stuff on the internet. So, like, the idea of, like, in my free time, posting stuff on the internet, it's not as... It ruined it for you. Yeah, it's it, like, why why you shouldn't get paid to make art. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't, so, kids out there, if you're listening... Don't follow like, your dreams. Yeah, don't follow your dreams. Don't get, don't get paid to make art. Don't get paid to run social media because you won't do social media as much anymore. <laughs> What's interesting about this conversation and where we wanted to start, which was how... Pepe the meme has now been deemed a symbol of hate in particular context is because like imagine this guy's Pepe's been around since 2005 2004 yep 2004 and Pepe if you don't know it's it's a frog with these big eyes that is generally kind of sad or like conniving yeah like like smirking yeah I mean also if you don't know who Pepe is listening to an internet podcast it's kind of weird but Thank you for the description. I, you know, I've been posting Pepe for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I, I almost can think about maybe like two or three years ago, the first kind of like my first kind of encounter with Pepe was just a simple image of just his face. It wasn't like any sort of meme at this point. It was just his face that I was like, yeah, he was this, frog, this frog is like kind of funny looking and like, this is cool. But it wasn't, it was pre-Pepe meme. <laughs> Pre-Pep. <laughs> Pre-Pep. And I also think that Pepe was the precursor to Kermit the Frog being his meme success. I feel like he started the reptilian, like, dat boy reptile. Oh, yeah, dat boy. And, yeah, every everything came. So to find out now that he's been used for such a will... Like, every, every once in a while, Pepe would be used for hate or mean or sadness. But most of the time, it was, like, lighthearted poke funnery. Yeah, I mean, I always thought Pepe was the sort of, like... If you were kind of like, yeah, if you mean sadness or, or if it was like, you know, like because there's sad Pepe and then there's like the the Pepe, the Pepe, the Pepe I'm thinking of is like, you know, he has his fingers underneath his chin. He's like, mm. I don't know about that, Pepe. Yeah. <laughs> but this election has changed who Pepe is in our society. The, fa- the founder of Peter Pepe has asked about this. We'll talk about how it's evolved. And he said that this current iteration of Pepe is just a face. And it's sort of like, it sort of thinks about like, are we in a spot in society where memes have phases? The ebb and flow. Yeah. Or like, you know how there's like mature, like in the stock market, I don't know about economics, but there's like mature bonds. And like, <laughs> like, is, this, is this mature Pepe? Or yeah. Or Pepe? is this like or a fluid this, Pepe? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like what, 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 what portion of the Pepe phase are you on now? And like, when does Pepe actually die? Does he ever die? Is Pepe ever going to die? So, to bring some context to this, within this election, there's a rendition of Pepe that is Donald Trump, and that his, Donald Trump's account tweeted out, and Donald Trump says that he controls his Twitter account, so let's assume that he, the man, tweeted out this Pepe, Donald Trump version. And since then, the alt-right, and essentially a significant number of white supremacist groups, anti-immigration groups, Islamic phobic groups, have transformed Pepe into a scoundrel. 
into a deplorable... And that's really like the catalyst of like when Trump kept saying things are deplorable. Then there's all of these memes of Pepe in these like now deplorable situations. Pepe helping build the, the wall of Mexico. Pepe reimagined as a caricature of a stereotypical uh, Hasidic Jew in front of the Twin Towers on flames. I mean, Pepe is doing some terrible yeah. stuff on the internet Pe- now. Pepe, Pepe took it to a whole nother level. Well, and unfortunately, the people that drive that are behind driving memes have taken it to another level. And I think that that's really indicative since we, you know, I, I highlighted it with Trump. It's kind of what this 2016 election has been about and the primaries. You said before we started recording, it's the most memeable election existence. In, in history. I mean, in the history of elections, probably. And in 2008, 2012, the internet exists, social media existed, but memes in particular have had such an impact on the way policies have been talked about, uh, candidates have been talked about. Well, let's go back a little bit to think about 2008 and 2012. We mentioned this earlier before we started recording, you know, mobile phones. I also feel that mobile phones have changed the meme world and apps like Instagram. I also think that the tools of production... So, like, back in the day, Absolutely. Photoshop was hard to come by. You might be able to download it off the of LimeWire or, like, get it from a friend. But now you can easily find these tools or pay for them, like, a, a subscription to Adobe Creative Cloud. Isn't that much more a month? And a lot of times, if you're in a school, you get that stuff for free. I was about to say, so, I think that, like, education, like, learning Photoshop, Illustrator, these tools that can create memes is now inherent in many of the curriculums where... Even when I went to art school and I graduated in two, with my undergrad degree in 2006, uh, our, my 2D design class, none of it was online. I taught 2D design. It was only Illustrator, yeah. Photoshop, and, and design. In 2005, I took a course called Electronic Art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that, that was a thing back then. You have a good point that the reason that the language of these elections have changed is because the way that we communicate to one another has significantly changed. Even though people had mobile devices and maybe even some of them had mobile devices that were online, maybe not in 2008, 2012 for sure, they weren't being, like we still weren't at the point as a society that we were communicating through images. You mentioned Instagram, like there's whole conversations that now happen because of pictures. I was talking to a chef of a restaurant in town and we were thinking about this idea of like filters and Instagram back in the day for remember for a long time Instagram the big I think one of the biggest changes was Instagram you had to take a photo when you're there and it was all kind of filter driven back mm-hmm. in the day and you couldn't upload a photo from your phone the moments after that that Instagram changed that policy and changed that feature where you can grab a photo from your photo library and upload it made it more possible for memes to exist in a visual culture. That pivot that Instagram had to kind of attract more users changed the world. Yeah. Memes as a form of communication matter. So like, yes, there you can you can produce them easily. There's platforms to share and have that communication. But like why why in particular do people have like a more emotional connection or that the content of a meme resonates? And I think it's because how they're shared is through social networks. Like they're shared through your personal communities that you build. Even if like you were mentioned that you follow all of these meme accounts, like I don't know about you, but even accounts that like 
I don't know who runs them, you start to build a relationship with them. There's like an anticipation. Like I started talking about before we recorded this one Instagram account that I follow, Entertainment for Breakfast. And sometimes it's it's kind of crude, kind of sexist. And then other times it's like really on point. So I have an anticipation from from that, that like, I'll be a little bit skeptical of things that they post about news, but if it's some type of emotional content, I'll like, it really resonates with me. I feel like I know entertainment for breakfast. I don't know these people, they don't know me, but because I do know when you post on Instagram or, you know, any of my friends post on Instagram that I believe what they're saying. I it, Memes are mixed in with like actual things that happen in our real lives. Like there's a picture of, me on Instagram and then all of a sudden there's a meme and then there's a picture of a dog I know. And all of this is now just information that I accept as true and part of my life and part of my fabric. And I think that that's why a lot of the memes that we saw generated through the election have like meant something to people. Like they, they feel like they're, if they're against their values, like an attack, not like anything factual. And if they're for their values, this like validation, even if they're not true, it's weird. Yeah, to- totally, totally. I mean, that's, that's definitely something to, to, to think about of, like, how memes, especially with, like, the alt-right uh, appropriating Pepe as, like, a hate, a hate symbol. Does that make it true? And a lot of times with people, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who aren't educated. Who, 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 <laughs> what? Who, who, who probably, like, get their news through memes. And think about that, think about the concept of, like, that's how they get their news and get their like popular culture is through meme accounts not through like going to cnn.com or not going through like not reading a newspaper i don't think anybody reads a newspaper anymore i, su- I got a subscription <laughs> one thing that i was thinking about why you were even saying that is like we're saying how like the alt-right made these like hate symbols and it's so crazy that there is a large group of people who do not consider them hate symbols yeah like they're not to them, it is like telling a story of something that they feel and believe, like that I use the reference of Pepe as like the Hasidic Jew caricature mm-hmm. helping the Twin Towers fall. Like there was a group of people that saw Pepe do that and was like, thanks for telling the truth, Pepe. Can, like, can, you, can you do me a favor? When you put this podcast out, can you use that image so, so that like it really gets people like to be, what is this all about? You know, like use the image of the Twin Towers Pepe. and Pepe Hasidic Jew and then people will be like, what? I'll take that unfollow hit. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I mean, I just think that might drive some traffic. But the other thing that I, I think is unique about what you just said is, like, I get my news from memes. You get your news from memes. Like, the only difference between somebody who possibly has had the, the fortunate experience of higher education is that I see it and then I might fat, fact check it or might know that there's some bias to it. I think that the relationship that people have with social media again is is the, these points of truth like for a long time especially for older generations like i think that the internet went from a place of everybody being skeptical to everybody thinking like oh well this is where news comes from now so if it's on the internet there's some truth behind it yeah, yeah totally i mean i i i think it's that's exactly right where it's like people believe it because that internet's true yeah, I mean, like there, there was one point that that happened with other news outlets. Like it was on television. It had to be true. It was in the paper. It had to be true. And I think what makes the news online more potent is because, you know, if my best friend shares an article, I'm assuming that it aligns to what I'm, I, I mean, like how many times have you read a headline and was like, oh, okay. And then you're in conversation with someone else and you're like, oh, I heard blah, 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 blah. And you didn't read that article. Yeah, you didn't, yeah. Like, but... A notable source 
Courtney Algio maybe shared it. And I'm like, oh, well, she probably read it. And it's true. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and, like... <laughs> and I mean, that's, and that idea of also like the like TLDR, too long didn't read, and then like the blind sharing of, of content, where it's a sort of like, like you, like you would see the headline and you know the source is reputable and you share it because you're like, this would probably be good. And this is better for my brand, not necessarily for like, oh, I really read this piece and there's a sentence that really resonated with me. It's this idea of just like the, the act of the content being like a who you are versus actual the content itself. I definitely like things, but based off of who shared them before I ever look into the content. And especially when I have certain platforms set up for notifications, sometimes I don't even see the post. I just get a notification and I have the opportunity for my iWatch to just hit like, and I can't even see the image. And I do because I'm like, well, I like that person. And I think that that's where this gets so complicated. You shared with me that Facebook group for the dank Bernie memes, and there's 500,000 people in that group. Strong, yeah. And, but I, because it's a Facebook group, it probably feels so myopic. I'm in a Real Housewives uh, franchise Facebook group. That's embarrassing to say out loud. It's not actually, the Real Housewives are great. And, but there's there's like 14,000 people in this group. And when sometimes like the like women and men write these posts and I I feel like I'm connected to them. But to go back to the dank burning piece. Well, I mean, I just, I wanna to touch on that a little bit because I feel that Facebook groups as a community around like, Facebook groups been around for since like the beginning of Facebook, it's like two thousand six. Yeah, yeah, a really long even, time. Even two thousand five. I I was on a bunch of Facebook groups. The best part about Facebook groups is way back in the day that you could make Facebook groups for what you're into IRL. So it's like ninety. I had a, I had a Facebook group once that had thousands of people on it from multiple colleges. That was nineties Nickelodeon shows were so radical, and there was no images you could post there. It was just sort of like, oh, join this group if you love nineties Nickelodeon shows. Yeah. But now, because of the evolution of the Facebook group kind of platform or sub-platform, it's easier to share content, it's easier to have conversations. Like, they're really sort of these breeding grounds. So, like, you're in one that's for Real Housewives. I'm in one, you know, that's called dog spotting. See, Alexis Bassett told us about our friend Alexis, and she was like, you got to join this group. It's called dog spotting. All people do is take pictures of dogs out in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but But there's, yeah. like hundreds of thousands of people in that. And I guess there's also um, another group that's like Y2K Aesthetics. I was talking to uh, the teens at my job because there's a teen council there and they were like talking about what we're talking about social media, which is really interesting to talk to teenagers about social media. Yeah. It was just like, it opened my world even more to be like, oh, that's what you, that's how you use this? Like, this is this? And then one of the teens is like, I'm in this Y2K Aesthetic group. And I was just like, what? What the heck is a Y2K aesthetic? But the idea, I guess, I guess I wanted to just note on the fact that like basic groups are now sort of like these like breeding grounds for memes and content that are reputable sources because it's coming from like a group. Yeah, because you're joining something with a bunch of like-minded people. It's, it's again, that it's creating validation for a platform that can't be sourced. Yeah. And that's like, we're, we started talking about Pepe and like we mentioned that boy meme and even like the a lot of the dank bernie memes that like i saw even through scrolling the group today they're very image based and sometimes almost like, all of them almost all like, everything's image based but then i started seeing when 
preparing for this podcast, looking at those memes that have like a lot of text. Mm -hmm. And there was one in particular that talked about the Sandy Hook shooting and how that wasn't the worst mass shooting in a school. It referenced it referenced Little Bighorn. Um, was the 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 statistics that the meme was quoting, but like that didn't happen in a school. It was so far from reality of. But if you saw that, it, you, it feels factual. Yeah. And especially like if I was in some like conspiracy theory, Sandy Hook didn't actually exist. Facebook group. Yep. And then that pops up. It just reaffirms. It's like all of these memes are created to to just validate or make somebody feel like they're at the cusp of something like more intellectual or sound well and so some of my favorite memes are the ones that would miss information like yeah. I, I love those kind of like oh I, I can't think of a specific example but I, I know i've seen them before where it's sort of a meme not true facts that i i know they're not are not true or like when they kind of like I, I can't think of ones but just like they have wrong thing, things in there i'm just like that's wrong but i love it because it's wrong yeah i mean it also lets you quickly sift through who who you would not want to be connected with. I had a Facebook argument, one of my first Facebook arguments in 2016 Ooh. with my Aunt Fran, who posted this really vile mean of Alton Sterling on her Facebook page. Yes, uh, he had a gun in an open carry state and he did, ha has statutory rape charges. And as a woman, it's an incredibly complicated issue. However... Is that what the fight was about? No, oh. I, her fight was he sta he started it. Like, look at these pictures, terrible father, he started it. See, that's, you're shaking your head for the audience at home. So, but if you looked at the meme, here's a man holding guns with his children. Yeah. Like, it erased all the other facts because the meme was louder than the truth. And I think that that's where... That's powerful. And that's thing, and thinking about that parlays right into, like, the Bernie Hillary memes. Yeah. That's where I was going to go with it. Look at, look at that. It's like we did a podcast together before. <laughs> For a whole year, once a month. Especially that one that was a picture of Bernie and Hillary side by side. Yeah, well, uh, like issues, and it's like Bernie or Hillary. And then it had like the issue line, and then it had the pictures of them, and then it had the boxes below that were like either images or text. Yeah, and a lot of them eventually manifested into these like a really sexist narrative because the questions would be about either things that were inherently masculine and then they would show bernie being the cool guy and hillary being the stodgy politician mm -hmm. woman like shrill it, there was a lot of them I, and then there became this big argument among especially amongst liberals because these are two democratic candidates where it was like, no, this is just a joke. And it's like, no, this is showing what's inherently wrong with like our patriarchal society. And I just remember watching my friends feud. And I mean, I watched a bunch of white liberal men be like, no. And then Def everybody Def else. Defending the, the Bernie versus Hillary memes? <laughs> yeah. Bernie became incredibly popular because of meme culture. Well, because of meme culture, but also because of, uh, yeah, I feel like the young people are very into this idea of like he's the father figure they call him stuff like that you know great white hope yeah but even they, they call him like daddy some people call him daddy mm -mm. yeah they, they, it's, it's mm -mm. i know but like when i talk about like it's very like that's like, like when hillary referred to herself as an abuela i can't but I like can't. it's not it's not bernie calling that but these people these on the internet are calling him that i think that's the 
that's the best point in this is that it's not the candidates themselves creating these memes that then they're held accountable for. Yeah. Like, who knows how Bernie Sanders actually felt about them? Maybe he thought that they were also incredibly sexist and was disappointed that his constituents generated all of this content against his his running mate. It makes you wonder, like... Do you, or not Bernie do you think Bernie and Hillary look at these memes? Do you think do you think Bernie Sanders has like a, a fake Facebook Facebook account and is like logged into like Bernie Sanders dink memes and like liking <laughs> all these ones and like oh that one is funny or that one that one is great you know? I'm gonna like I'm gonna be a little ageist here and say because of their age there there's probably some when they have to deal with some type of PR backlash. Which is incredible that you have to deal with the PR backlash based off of an internet uh, yeah, meme. Yeah, that's insane. Those ones I think that they're aware of. I doubt all of the ones that are generated. But people following this election, people following these candidates, they're looking for these memeable moments. Yeah, they are. And that was really evident in the debate. Like this past first presidential debate against Hillary and Trump. Even I, I live tweeted the whole thing. So it's kind of incredible that I keep telling people that I watched the debate when like, how? I mean, I guess like I kind of watched it. I more watched it unfold on Twitter. On Twitter. Yeah, I mean, and I, I watched the debate pretty much watching the debate with checking Twitter every now and then seeing, like, this is really funny. Like, my favorite one was, what's the guy who moderated Len something? What's the guy's name? Uh, Holtz? Lester Holt. Lester, Lester Holt. Lester Holt. So Lester <laughs> we Holt. We did it. <laughs> yeah. So Lester Holt, was a, it was a picture. I was like, here's an off-camera uh, off shot of Lester Holt, and he's, like, taking a drink. <laughs> and like to me that was like great because someone like found the picture of Lester Holt, tweeted it out, and then that like, got shared. And like that's the kind of stuff going back to my fears that like I would love to be being fast on the internet and making these sort of memes and doing that stuff is but I have I have meme stage fright. Like, you know, I can't do something as clever as Lester Holt off camera taking a drink. I was much more interested in creating content on Twitter that made me seem smart and insightful or funny more than I cared about reading what anybody else was writing or participating. I, I was interested in being like the first. And I think that that goes with your fear. Of well, like, and you're using the hashtag too. Yeah, I was using the hashtag. If, if other people don't want to admit that they play this game, that's cute. But like, I was constantly refreshing my phone. Like who liked it? Who retweeted it? Who saw it? Am I relevant? And that's where you were saying like, like people looking for these memeable moments. It's not because they're, in my opinion, it's not because they're trying to make sure that their candidate looks successful or that they're, not that they're not passionate about the issues or want their candidate to look successful, but they're really interested in themselves looking like they are participating, they're intelligent, they're aligned to the issues that they want to be known for. I mean, they're, they're curating their personal brand, their online brand. I mean, they're finding stuff that is relevant to them and, and saying, hey, this is my view or this is something that I think is funny you know for me during that debate the only thing I posted was a picture of crying Jordan which is a picture of Jordan crying and it was over the whole America <laughs> and you know and yeah. it, it's in the thing was that like it it was it was a subtle gesture that's political but doesn't say that like I'm anti-Trump or, or anti-Hillary it's just sort of this is how America feels right now like we're at a backed up into a corner to not be so dismissive of everybody following this election there has been certain gestures that i've been making online to put put a line in the sand 
Like, I, during the debate, shared a picture of, like, I'm with her, Hillary, on my Facebook timeline. Now, granted, most of my timeline is full with other liberals who are at least against Trump. But I also, because of the in, you know, incredible amount of support that Bernie Sanders has, I'm watching a bunch of, particularly my white male liberal friends, being like, I'm voting for Gary Johnson. And I'm like, you're a jackass. Yeah, who can't even name a <laughs> foreign leader. Foreign leader that he admires. Uh, but besides that, libertarianism is... Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. That's <laughs> like, a whole other podcast. But uh, what I'm saying is that it's that yes, it's about self promotion and um, I like self identifying, but it's also a very heated political time where I am looking for the people who are openly saying I'm a part of something, I'm against it, and I think that that's what's different about this 2016 election than 2012 or 20 or 2008. I think that there's been a common narrative throughout this year that, especially from an older generation, that things are quote unquote worse. This is the worst time for black Americans. I mean, I would, I would argue that slavery and Jim Crow might've been a little bit shittier, but this is the worst time for women. This is the worst time for our country. It's the worst time for our economics. Or is it just to your original point about the accessibility of technology? Is it just the most visible time to all of these it's, it's, it's negative most, things well, that, that have most, always existed? Exactly. It's the most visible. I mean, like, real talk, cops have been killing black people for decades. Yeah. it's <laughs> And now everybody has video cameras on their phone. Yeah. And... People can create memes at the drop of a hat, yep. and now that information can be spread whether you... Me- memes and movements. And not, movements. It's, yes. Yeah. Memes and movements, and then movements that generate memes. Th- that's the power. Like We've talked a little bit dismissively about some of the impacts that memes have had, but in terms of communicating really large concepts really quickly to specific audiences, memes... I mean, Black Lives Matter in stack text, that's a meme. And it, it can be generated, shared, and move forward very quickly. That's what's interesting about and why memes shouldn't ever be dismissed because they speak volumes. Because they're attached to a community and they're attached to people's identity. We talked before we started recording about like the idea that memes represent pop culture. And I think that memes, I think that pop culture represents humans. Like, I don't necessarily think it's the other way around. I don't think that we're these beings that something happens in society and then all of a sudden it changes the fabric of who we are. I think that there's who we are dictates what is generated for us to entertain us, to inform us, to move us. And I think that memes are a representation of what we want to see or how we want to communicate or how we want to be informed. I guess I would agree with you in somewhat, but I feel like the thing about memes is that, like you were saying earlier, is that people make these memes and there's no, they just happen, they come out of nowhere. There's no sort of like connection. It's not like, uh, you know, an artist is making a piece of artwork and their name is attached right to it and it's, this is art, this is this. You know, with memes, it's like, it's easy for like all the, the Pepe's, all like, I'm all the dank Hillary and Bernie memes you have no context of actually who made it. You know that a human did this. Yeah. And it was a human action. But it's still, at the end of the day, maybe like a digital online like item. But I guess maybe 
humans are driving that, but it's it's I guess it's hard the idea of like IRL and online, and we talk about this before in our, our past podcasts. Shout out that that uh that like this merging of an online offline world and how much it gets weaved together and how like because it's twenty sixteen it's it's we're, we're sixteen years into this new century. It's not like it's two thousand and four anymore. Yeah. Like we we are evolving and we're evolving. Really we have fast. a we have a driver's permit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, of the internet, you know, like a lot of us are being licensed. We're licensed internet users. Uh, so in I guess maybe that's the one thing before we wrap this podcast. Something that I want to think about is like the evolution of the internet and content and memes happen so fast that I'm curious of when this podcast will come out, which will probably be a month later, closer to the election, mm-hmm. how much stuff will change in that month. Well, like, maybe Pepe is, like, uh, appropriated by the, the left, you know, like, Hillary. Maybe there's a Hillary Pepe. And maybe, like, all of a sudden Pepe's in this new phase of, like, a renewal of Pepe. Maybe, you know, like, the second debate happens and there's this crazy moment that Trump just blows up and then that's, like, the new meme for, like, three weeks. You know, it's, I'm just really fascinated by the fact of, like, this conversation could inform uh, parts, of the, parts, of, parts of this conversation in this podcast can inform future events. And maybe some past events won't become relevant anymore because that's how fast the internet works. It is. Thanks, Chris. Well, I have to... Glad we brought the band back together. Yeah. For an episode. Uh, one more time, where can people find you online? Uh, ChrisCloud.com. At Chris Cloud on Instagram and Twitter. I got that meme account that I haven't posted that for a while. It's at <laughs> the cloud emoji on Instagram. And that's about, those are about my, my landing spots. All right. Thanks so much for the conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, please share your thoughts and opinions about this episode's themes on Twitter at and the internet or on the blog at layandtheinternet.com. You can also find the show on facebook.com slash internet. And if you're so compelled, check out Last Month on the Internet, the previous podcast by Negative Jam, you can find on iTunes.